Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. For decades, researchers have struggled to find a drug that cures memory loss. But despite this, new data suggests that dementia rates have actually declined in the U.S. over the last 10 years. And in their new book, our next guests link social policies, economics, and public health to the decline in cognitive disorders. So what does this mean for brain health in the future? Joining us now to discuss are the co-authors of the new book, American Dementia, Brain Health in an Unhealthy Society. Dr. Daniel George is a medical anthropologist and associate professor at Penn State College of Medicine. Hi, Dr. George. Welcome to Reset. Thanks for having us, Sasha. And Dr. Peter Whitehouse is a professor of neurology at Case Western Reserve University and a professor of medicine at the University of Toronto. Great to have you on, Dr. Whitehouse. Thank you, Sasha. I'll start with you, Dr. Whitehouse. The terms Alzheimer's and dementia, they're often used interchangeably. So um, I want you to clear up the difference for us, because I know they have different meanings. Yeah, it's a commonly asked an important question. And as we reset, and I love the name of your program, are thinking about both Alzheimer's and dementia, it's important to get them clarified. Dementia is the broader term that includes a variety of reasons why folks might have challenges uh, with their thinking uh, that interrupts their ability to do their activities of daily living. The reason people are confused is the experts are confused because Alzheimer's itself used to be said to be the most common cause of dementia is defined as a one type of dementia. But in actual fact, the reason experts are confused is that Alzheimer's is not one condition and it is related to aging. And therefore, both terms encompass a wide variety of conditions that affect older people as they age. As uh, we mentioned, Dr. Whitehouse, dementia rates in the U.S. have fallen in the past decade. So can you give us some insight into why this might be the case? Danny is the, uh, the public health expert, and let me uh, turn that question to him. But let me make it very clear why we think there's a reset. Right now, the forces of progress uh, are not making progress. The drugs that, uh, for example, were just approved by the FDA are almost universally viewed as a as a failure and that the FDA shouldn't have approved those drugs. So the National Alzheimer's Association has been promoting a model of dementia as a single condition that can be cured, which just needs to be reset. And the evidence that Danny put together for us for the book, that in fact dementia rates going down is an important reason, a very important reason that we need to focus on that reset. Dr. George, you wanna pick up where he left off? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've spent billions of dollars trying to find anti-amyloid drugs, amyloid being the, the sort of protein that's part of the plaques that we talk about with Alzheimer's disease. And no drugs have uh, succeeded in, in reversing Alzheimer's. But of course, as you mentioned, one of the ironies is that dementia rates are actually falling in the U.S. and in five other Western European countries over the past several decades. And the reason for that is complicated, but it requires us to think about the 20th century, certain investments that were made, you know, after the traumas of the New Deal and the Great Depression and how those have precipitated greater brain health for people who are now in their um, graying years. And so just to unpack that a bit, uh, the GI Bill being one major con contributor uh, in terms of providing higher education uh, to tens of millions of Americans. Of course, that resource was not 
allocated equally because of segregation in our universities in the mid 20th century. But education seems to provide what we call a cognitive reserve that buffers people against aging processes. We also expanded healthcare with the Great Society programs um, that improved treatment of vascular health, uh, hypertension, cholesterol, diabetes are all risk factors for uh, brain aging. We significantly reduced smoking rates uh, across the 20th century, and we, of course, deleaded gasoline, uh, lead being, of course, a major neurotoxin and also a vascular risk factor. We'll, we'll talk some more about uh, some of those social policies and, and how they've contributed to those declining rates. Uh, but Dr. Whitehouse, I, I wonder, overall, when you think of Alzheimer's disease, what have we gotten wrong? What, what are the myths? So that's the title of our first book, um, The Myth of Alzheimer's. And the myth is two things that have consequences. One is, as I mentioned already, Alzheimer's is not a singular noun. It's not one thing. It's not single disease waiting to be cured. It's a, it's a syndrome or a set of conditions where a number of different factors come to play in different people. Uh, sometimes as a clinician, I say, if you've seen one person with the label Alzheimer's disease, you've seen one person with the label of Alzheimer's disease. And the second thing is, Despite the fact that the political claim has been made that this is different than aging, the greatest risk factor for getting these forms of Alzheimer's disease is the very heterogeneous process itself of brain aging. So we still don't know what the difference is between so-called normal aging mm -hmm. and Alzheimer's, except for the fact that obviously it's a degree of severity, but all older people to one degree or another do have changes in the brain that relate to changes in memory. Many of us do well. We don't develop dementia, but the fact is we're all in a continuum of brain aging. So with that in mind, you know, I know many of us, when we think about getting older, Dr. Whitehouse, we, we might worry about memory loss. I know I do. Um, but are folks taking uh, this seriously enough? Are they talking about it enough? And are doctors taking the lead to address the concerns that patients may have? So I would say that the dementia field as a whole has fallen down because of its leadership, frankly, At, by focusing on uh, medical approaches, just purely drugs and bio, biological tests, and making Alzheimer's disease into something that's just biological, and ignoring the fact that it affects people with the kinds of concerns that you and I have. And as a result of that, we're not sharing with people what they can do individually, and more important, what we can do as a society to address everybody's concerns by working together to create healthier environments. You know, you're Chicago, we're Cleveland. Lead is an example of uh, where we're still facing problems, despite the fact that we made efforts in the past, as Danny described. But we're failing to learn those lessons from the past, and that is the cultural dementia that we describe in the book, a field and a society that hasn't learned that we can work and solve problems better together, take care of our brains, take care of our health, take care of our children and grandchildren going forward into the future. Uh, Dr. George, I want to go back to some of those uh, societal conditions we were discussing uh, earlier. Uh, as we mentioned, American dementia links social policy and economics and public health to these cognitive disorders. So can you talk more about how societal conditions in recent years have really taken a toll on our well-being collectively? Absolutely. So, you know, whereas the trauma of the Great Depression and, and the World Wars sort of unleashed this era of what we might call social democracy, where the state was sort of limiting capital and investing in strong safety nets, 
really uh, growing the middle class, uh, winning victories for workers. What we saw uh, was a change in the way we organized society in the 1970s. And that was in, as a, in, you know, in consequence of the sort of stagflation and uh, oil shocks of that era. And what that uh, resulted in is the sort of marketization of everything, right? Uh, unleashing capital around the globe, seeing tens of millions of jobs in America uh, sent abroad, attacks on workers and unions, assaults on social programs, privatization, and deregulation of uh, a lot of our se- the sectors of our economy. And so that has had major downstream risks um, uh, uh, for uh, brain health. So, you know, six in 10 Americans now live with chronic disease. Uh, so the vascular conditions that I mentioned uh, improving it across the 20th century are now uh, worsening. Uh, we have 80 million on or underinsured, as, p- as listeners of your show obviously know. Uh, those are people who are not getting frontline care for vascular risk factors that impact brain health. Mm -hmm. As Peter mentioned, we have another lead crisis on our hands, this time in the water. Uh, And it's not just in Flint, which we've heard so much about. It's in Chicago. It's all through Illinois. It's in a major city in the country. So we are seeing some really negative trends uh, in where the needle is moving in terms of these indicators of brain health. Climate change too, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, And, you know, people may remember in 2017, there was a major storm down in Texas, and there were residents of a nursing home kind of neck deep in water from the flooding uh, in in that. And so, you know, we have to remember that it's the most vulnerable in society, the elderly, our kids, people who are uh, marginalized, who are going to suffer most from the effects of climate change. When it comes to disparities in health, we know African-Americans are frequently at the bottom of the list. You know, whether that's heart disease or diabetes or stroke or any other number of, of issues, Systemic issues have led to black Americans' health just being among the worst. Is dementia on that list, Dr. George? Yeah, and, uh, you know, of course, uh, if you're poor in this country, if you're working poor, it puts you at a higher risk for uh, for, for dementia. And, uh, of course, African Americans in this country uh, are, are disproportionately represented in those classes, which is uh, so- something that we're only now obviously starting to, to tackle as a society. Um, but there have been other studies in recent years showing that uh, things like stressful uh, moments in life are disproportionate for um, communities of color as well. We know that stress and anxiety and uh, depression are also major risk factors for dementia. So in as much as we, the, the way we've structured our society is impinging on people's brain health in particular classes and, uh, and racial and ethnic groups, those are real problems that we need to contend with. And again, as Peter has pointed out, we tend to think of Alzheimer's as, you know, just finding a single mechanism drug and that will cure or reverse this condition. Mm-hmm. But what we're trying to argue in this book is that this is a societal problem. The rates of Alzheimer's disease follow downstream from the way we literally organize society. And that's where our attention needs to be. Dr. Whitehouse, what, what do you see as the most promising ways for improving the health of people who are living with dementia? So it's not only people living with dementia, but people like yourself that you've expressed that are concerned about it. Yeah. How, what's the most effective thing to keep your brain healthy? Well, of course, I would argue things like exercise are important, but it's important that we have communities in which people can exercise. But I'm going to uh, give you one other thought, which builds on this notion that education is, um, is protective. 
So in Cleveland, we have three intergenerational public schools where people with dementia and people with milder forms of cognitive challenges go to school and play an important life in the, in the lives of children. And Danny's thesis from Oxford demonstrated the value of that. The mission of that school is spirited citizenship. And that's what I would argue that this country needs is more spirited citizens to get involved in the debate about what kind of a society we want and to ask a few of the people that have been claiming that we're going to find a cure for this disease falsely now for decades, just what is your evidence that that will happen? And why, by the way, could you explain to us why dementia rates are going down, something they ignore, and that maybe there are some things we should be doing collectively. Maybe the Alzheimer's Association could start advocating for lead abatement. That would really be a very, very important factor to help the lives of our kids, who, if they're lucky, become our elders and keep their brains healthy throughout their life course. Dr. George, what about COVID-19? What what cracks in social, political, and and economic systems has the pandemic revealed? Well, I think... um... Obviously, we saw the result of cuts to um, public health in terms of surveillance and contact tracing, just not being up to snuff in the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, We saw workers, uh, quote unquote, essential workers disproportionately affected early on. There was no universal basic income provided to people to help keep them home. Uh, There was no access to health care for people extended as a result of this crisis. Uh, and, and so we saw, you know, people who were uh, poor and marginalized being disproportionately affected uh, by this condition as plays out in, in conditions like Alzheimer's disease. The, the biggest disappointment is, I think, the fact that we just haven't been able to reconstitute a healthier society in the wake of this crisis as we did with the Great Depression and, uh, and the World Wars. You know, there was a real opportunity to, to um, extend resources to people, health care, higher education, jobs, guarantees, and living wages like Martin Luther King talked about in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we just have not organized ourselves in that direction. Dr. Whitehouse, you've already begun your call to action. So for people listening right now, of course, some who can relate to this conversation because um, they know someone or they love someone living with uh, dementia, how can we make genuine connections with seniors? So I think the most important thing is to not listen to the languages that makes people with dementia separate from the rest of us as human beings. It's stigmatizing. And to treat that individual as somebody who is still a contributing member of society. And um, to, to be more specific, um, the idea of music and art and um, dance and, as I said before, exercise, the idea that you can do with those folks what they used to enjoy and still enjoy. You can modify your programming as a function of the fact that they may have recent memory problems, but people with dementia have good long-term memories, at least uh, to, to start in the process, so they can share stories from their past. In our intergenerational schools, the, the kids love to hear stories from the elders, even those that, uh, that have a label of a, of a dementia, mm-hmm. about what life was like in the past, because the kids and the elders together in this intergenerational cons- uh, school can imagine a future together that each one by themselves wouldn't be able to do. Despite our societal challenges, are, are you encouraged at all, Dr. Whitehouse, that, that the U.S. is going to continue to see this decline in dementia rates? 
Uh, well, you know, what Danny said is unfortunate, that we've had the resolve in this country in the 70s, as Danny said, to value education more highly. But now that everything is market-driven, uh, we'll use a word that Danny taught me, neoliberalism. It's all up to the individual who's a consumer in the market. As long as we don't correct that, no, I'm not hopeful. But we've done it before. Other countries are doing it better. And, yes, in general, I'm optimistic that this country could reset and think of dementia in a different way and lead the, the world into a healthier future, which would benefit not only people with dementia, but all of us by doing that. Dr. George, what do you think that those living with dementia want us to know? I think uh, to pick up on Peter's point, they're they're human beings. They aren't depersoned, uh, you know, at any point of receiving that label. And when you sit with folks uh, who, who have memory problems and you engage with them around the arts, uh, storytelling and music, as Peter said, I, I bring my medical students into uh, the locked nursing unit uh, at a local assisted living home. And the students are always shocked and amazed at how creative people still are even if they can't articulate themselves uh, anymore. They can still uh, remember melodies from their childhood, perhaps, or tap their leg in rhythm to music. And it's the moral challenge is on us to try to figure out how to connect uh, with people who may be cognitively frail and how to improve their quality of life. Well, if, if readers walk away with nothing else, what do you hope they understand after reading your book, Dr. George? I think um, we joke about our book not being a self-help book per se, although people can um, pick up, you know, tips for brain health. But we joke about the book being an other health book. And we want to start thinking collectively again in terms of being unified, having a shared destiny together, because in this heavily marketized world that we live in, a very divide, divided, fractured world, we sort of lost touch with a sense of a collective project again. And I would love to see us work back to, to greater unity. And if Alzheimer's disease can be one way of thinking about how to do that, that would be the greatest um, uh, benefit of the book, I think. That is Dr. Daniel George and Dr. Peter Whitehouse. They're co-authors of American Dementia, Brain Health in an Unhealthy Society. Thank you both. Well, that's it for today's Reset, and you can hear more great stories by subscribing to this podcast. And while you're at it, give us a rating. It helps listeners find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening, and we'll meet again tomorrow. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I discovered authors I had never heard of and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.